everyone and welcome back. It is an honor to have you here for what is, I think, up to this point, my favorite episode of the podcast. It could be that I just have a lot of personal affection for this guy, or it could be that we had a really great conversation. I will let you all be the judge of that. But one major bonus is that there is zero Corona-related conversation in this entire episode. The reason for that is because we recorded this back in September of last year, well before any of us knew what a coronavirus was. We held off on publishing for reasons that are unimportant, but I'm really glad to bring it to you now as a reprieve from our current reality. But my guest today is one of my best buds from childhood, an individual by the name of Brett Jackson. Brett is now a venture capitalist based out of Boulder, Colorado, um, but he's just been uh, an immensely talented and successful businessman. Going back to when we were in high school and he was involved with a footwear company that many of you will be familiar with called Crocs. And Brett's career path has been totally non-traditional going back to when he dropped out of college and has been carving his own path in a really unique way and in a way that I think is different from a lot of people who have found themselves in a similar career and a similar stature in their industry. And it's always been something that I've really admired about him. And I've always felt that we've been kindred spirits, uh, not only in our friendship as kids, but as we've grown into adulthood and pursued our own uh, different paths in very different fields, but with a lot of similar demands and a lot of similar emotions. And I've always felt that there's just so much to learn from people like Brett um, as it relates to being a better athlete as well. Brett and I have had the pleasure of sitting down a lot over the last several years and having conversations um, that have been, I think, really valuable for both of us and that have helped us on our individual pursuits in our own lives. And it was an honor to be able to record one of those conversations to share with you all. We talk about the highs and lows of sport and business, what it means to be process-oriented versus outcome-oriented when you're a venture capitalist, what his perspective is on training and competing and how he's dealt with things like depression, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, things like that. So we get really human in this one. And just to set the table a tiny bit more, I know this intro is a little longer than usual, but we reference an individual by the name of Jerry Colonna a couple of times in this interview. Jerry is somebody who Brett has developed a strong relationship with as a coach in Brett's own professional life. And Jerry is kind of like an executive coach, also based out of Boulder, Colorado. His organization is called Reboot, and he wrote a book uh, by the same name, Reboot, which Brett recommended to me last year when I was in the middle of my own personal crisis that had a, a big impact on me. And I would definitely recommend that to you all as well to check out. I will link to that into the in the show notes, as well as an interview that I did on Jerry's podcast, where we went into a lot more detail on my personal crisis of 2019 and how his book helped me. So if that interests you, check that out. But without any further delay, my favorite episode up to this point, Mr. Brett Jackson. 
Okay, I'm here with uh, my old friend, founder of V1 VC here in Boulder, Colorado, Mr. Brett Jackson. Brett, thanks for uh, inviting me into your, your office here. It's nice to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so as we've sort of just discussed off mic, I, I kind of just want to have a conversation about what you do, sort of drawing parallels between what you do and what I do, and sort of just hope, hopefully have a conversation where we both kind of learn some things about what it means to, to live a committed and hardworking and um, interesting life. And I think there's a, a lot of uh, similarities between athletics and what you do in the business world. But, um, you know, most of the people who are going to be listening to this are, are going to be athletes um, and people who may not be as well versed in the world of business. So you being a, uh, a business person, a venture capitalist, can you just like kind of explain what that means? Yeah. So, um, so I run V1 VC as the managing partner. Um, we're a, a venture capital firm based in Boulder, Colorado and San Francisco. What we do is we invest in early stage, uh, technology related companies across North America. So we see, you know, 2000, 2500 companies a year and make like 10 investments. And then what we do, we're not looking for quick flips. Mm -hmm. So what we're really doing is we're trying to identify companies that we think could become really big. And in order to become really big, you kind of have to build a company for at least 10 years, we think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get lucky and things, you know, take off quickly. But really what we're doing is we're trying to identify people and products uh, so the people run the companies. So we have to have an affinity for the product um, um, that we're investing in. But really, at the end of the day, the people are going to go make it happen. And so it's funny, since we've been talking about like the long-term uh, aspect of what you do and the long-term aspect of what we do, you know, a lot of people say like, well, these types of things are not a sprint, they're a marathon. <laughs> but really, in reality, I think it's not a marathon, it's an ultra yeah, it's marathon. It's an ultra. Yeah. So we're not looking for like the person that wants to go do like the quick sprint, you know, like exit a company in two years. So that's in a nutshell what we what we do. So basically, the the shorter version of that is that as a VC, you are investing in companies, taking some sort of an ownership stake in that company, hoping that at a future date, with your support, that ownership stake will be more valuable. Yes. In in a, in a nutshell. So, cool. Now that we've sort of like defined that, can you just give us sort of like a condensed version of of your resume? Maybe yeah. going back to yeah. uh, when we were in high school. Yeah. So when when we were in high school, um, I was. Uh, lucky enough, we were lucky enough to go to a school in Boulder, Colorado, where, um, you know, we were kind of heathens at that time, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of grow up in an entrepreneurial family in the first place. And then, kind of, you know, uh, I had a grandfather that was a successful entrepreneur, and my parents were entrepreneurs. So I kind of always grew up around it. And then Boulder has always been very entrepreneurial mm -hmm. in general. Um, but 
I always gravitated towards um, entrepreneurs in general. And so one of my mentors when we were in high school when I was 16 was uh, one of our friends' uh, fathers, uh, the founder of Crocs. Yep. And that's when I first got involved with, with Crocs, um, was one of the first like 10 or 15 people there. And never thought it would be like a big thing or anything like that. Like we were just, I was just honestly um, attracted to the energy in the in the company. When I first saw the product, I was like, you know, this is kind of an ugly shoe. Yeah. But like the founders had this like magnetism to them where I was just immediately drawn and mm-hmm. obsessed, basically. Um, and so that you know, turn into the company. Um, and I was like part-time during that time, obviously, but one of our jobs was like, get everyone at our high school wearing the shoes, which (laughs) Which we did successfully. successful. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, then, you know, I basically, uh, the company kind of took off and, um, I, uh, dropped out of the university of Colorado to, uh, to kind of pursue that, uh, full time, but I had also actually started another company, uh, digital marketing consultancy right. while I was in college at CU. And, um, so I was doing both of the working at Crocs, starting my own, uh, company when I was like 21 mm-hmm. and, um, uh, Crocs kind of, you know, did very well. We went from like 15 people to I think like 7,000 in four and a half years. Mm-hmm. So never expected that to happen. And like, I was basically just a fly on the wall, yeah. like getting to work for the senior management team and as I a young person. Learning a, a oh, learning amount. a ton. Yeah. And so that was really kind of my education. And this was in the part of the market where it was like really hot. So it was like company went public in 2006, mm-hmm. February, 2006. And then the stock kind of ran up very significantly. Yeah. Um, uh, until I remember the exact date, uh, October 31st, 2007, it was a Friday, the last day of the month, the last day of the quarter Halloween. (laughs) And, um, uh, that's when, uh, the CEO at that time, um, announced earnings. And it, it was like the company was doing extraordinarily well, but missed earnings projections by a very small amount. And so the stock then dropped, you know, 40% in like 15 minutes after hours mm-hmm. um, and then continued to drop. Uh, this was right before the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. Uh, and at this time, like I thought I was way smarter than I actually am. Like, you know, I got lucky, first of all, just kind of growing up in Boulder in my situation and then kind of getting into that company. Um, but then it went so well that like everyone thought that they were kind of smarter than they really were. Um, the, the stock then dropped 90%. And then after 2008, almost went bankrupt. And that's when I really started to uh, uh, learn. Uh, like on the way up, I learned quite a bit. But on the way down, that's when I really started to get humbled. Yeah. And, you know, at that time I had like a company with around 20 employees, Uh, you know, I had left college, you know, started this company, it was going well. And then all of a sudden, like the market crashes, I felt like I was completely groundless. Mm -hmm. Like I'm such an idiot for, you know, not, um, 
doing what everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. And like, I just naturally gravitated towards starting companies yeah. versus like, that was my path. And I was on my own path versus what a lot of other people were doing. Um, but that was a hard path to be on just personally, psychologically. Of course, yeah. And especially when, you know, you lose like 90, like a significant amount of your net worth right. in a very quick amount of time. And you take on a bunch of other risks where you feel like you're now stretched into an area where, you know, you're beyond your competence. So yeah. you kind of feel like almost an imposter. So I think we've talked yes. about this. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that. Yeah. So that's kind of um, the early part of my uh, career. And then I ended up uh, kind of disbanding that consultancy. I could have sold it a few times and mm-hmm. I didn't. Um was that because of the the economic situation in, in the country at the time? Or <laughs> no. It was just... So I would have had to go on and join that company. Yeah. But what I was doing back then... Um, so I, I also kind of helped start this aerospace company. And they became <laughs> one of so our clients. Crazy, it was dude. so weird. <laughs> but like, people are, what is your, your career? You So you worked at a shoe company. Yeah. So I was like door-to-door shoe salesman, basically. Yeah. And then I started this digital marketing company and one of our clients, and we were targeting basically like millennials, Mm -hmm. but I got very interested in this aerospace company down in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, And I really liked their vision. So I started helping them and they kind of asked me to be on the original team to help get it going. So I did that kind of in conjunction. And that's ultimately why I wanted to disband the mm-hmm. consulting company to go pursue. You could focus a little bit this more. other thing. Yeah. Um, and then that, so that was around 12 and a half years ago. And that has been the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. I, I want, we almost went out of business many, many, many times every quarter. And I was the one out kind of raising capital in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Where that, again, it's like outside of my competence. Right. Like I'm, You're a young guy, yeah, too. Yeah, a young guy. Early and 20s? Like, yeah. And so it was just like I was the one in the room that kind of just had the natural inclination to go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to survive through the financial crisis, and uh, um, now we're thriving, doing really well. Um, and I'm just on the board now, but for the first seven or eight years, I was on the management team as the VP of business development. Um, and then kind of during that whole time period, I was making, um, a lot of angel investments, uh, into early stage companies and then investing in some other venture capital funds. So I, I didn't even know what, I thought that like being an angel investor was venture capital. So I kind of thought that I was a venture capitalist. But it, venture capital is really when you raise capital from outside from investors mm-hmm. and then you pull that together and then make investments mm. versus angel investing is just with your own capital. Um, so, uh, you know, I met my partners in like 2013 and we ended up uh, closing our first fund in uh, 2015 when I was living in San Francisco. Yep. Um and so we're four years in and uh, have around 50 companies in the portfolio. That's that's really cool. So, and you said earlier that you sort of, from a very early age, you kind of gravitated towards starting companies or 
you mentioned the environment around Crocs at the time and how that kind of spoke to you on like a emotional level. It was just something that drew you to it. I've always felt the same way about sport and competition and things like that. What is it about the the world of business and startups that you find so um, satisfying or interesting? Yeah. So I think the first thing is I'm completely unemployable. So like I can't like go get a job somewhere. So I have to kind of do my own thing. And then the other thing is I was never really good at listening to other people like teachers um, or just, you know, uh, I always wanted to kind of um, carve my own way forward. And so I, I, you know, at Crocs, it was like a ragtag team of like, they, those guys were like college dropouts and very successful, but like, yeah. you know, they were kind of uh, rebels and I just loved that yeah. basically. And kind of feel like an underdog. Yeah. So like I would feel out of place, like in a classroom. Well, I always, I am more of an, like an autodidact. So I like to learn on my own versus and what I'm interested in versus mm -hmm. like what someone else tells me to do. Um, so, um, you know, that's where I just like to kind of gravitate towards things that I have a natural affinity for mm -hmm. and an interest in. Um, and I really, you know, I think when you first get into something, you might be very naive. And I certainly was and still am. But, um, you know, it's just this natural pull where mm -hmm. you you then, you know, you might feel uncomfortable with uh, in a certain group or a clique. And then you find your clique and you're like, oh, this I feels love right. that. Like you you just think about it 24 seven, yeah. basically. And so when I found, you know, and most of the guys at Crocs, they were all old, but they kind of mentored me and took me under their wing. And I felt extremely comfortable in that scenario and loved every second of it. Mm. So um, it was really like I found my calling and it just felt right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where your motivation was, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. Yeah. So. You know, the other major kind of parallel I see sort of between this world of sports and the world of business is just like the emotional kind of roller coaster that we're on as athletes and business people. And we have just these amazing highs and these really difficult lows and in between just a lot of like average mundane days. And I want to talk about all of those different things, maybe just starting with the mundane first, yeah. you know, and in what I do, the first thing that comes to mind is the training, you know, the daily practice of gaining fitness. So my process is I set a goal and then run a various amount in a strategic way over the course of several weeks or months in order to be as prepared as possible on a specific date that I've put on the calendar. That's, um, you know, at some point in the past. And for you, you know, it's more about, you know, betting on the hypothetical future success of a company. So what does like the concept of training mean to you in, in what you do? Yeah. Well, I, th I think if I look back, um, 
in time, like when I first got started, I was much less disciplined and structured around things. I would just jump in and get, get after it basically. So was I. Yeah. <laughs> and so over time though, then I would, uh, you know, I've been really lucky to be surrounded around, um, by, uh, uh, some amazing mentors and advisors. So I started very diligently watching how they would do things and I would get involved with them and they would be my mentor. Um, but I could see how they would do things and they were much more methodical and like, um, you know, they would think everything, try to think everything through from the beginning and not take on too much. And, um, so I kind of use that as my mental map and, over time, just constantly getting my ass kicked as well, because the thing you have to keep in mind is 90% of startups fail. So you have to be, you know, you know, doing it for um, the right reasons, basically. Um, and when and, you make 10 bets a year and 90% yeah. fail, yeah. the math is just very difficult. At that the point. math is very difficult to make work. So that's why, you know, we see over 2000 companies and make 10 investments, mm -hmm. you know, it's well under 1% of what we see. So actually like most of the, the stuff that I do is very mundane. Like I have to polite, I read every email that I get and I get a lot of emails from people all over the world, but we're only investing in North America in certain seed stage types of companies and certain thematic focuses. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'll get, I don't even know how many emails, but a lot of emails every day, hundreds. And I reply to every single one of them, the ones that are actually legit, not spam. But, you know, and I basically, most 99% of what I do is is just politely saying, you know, this isn't something that we this can focus on. Yeah. And people asking to do things, um, you know, I, I just have to politely decline. So over time, I've really gotten a lot better at saying no to things. Um, and just recognizing, like, if I take on too much, then um, areas of my performance will suffer. Mm -hmm. So, and I'll just get, uh, you know, overloaded with anxiety and you know, then I don't, I'm chasing four rabbits at once and I won't get any of mm -hmm. them. Um, so over time, I've really learned how to kind of focus my efforts on what I call highly asymmetric upside, uh, whatever it, it could be an investment or investing in my health or investing in my knowledge. Um, so I'm, I'm very kind of focused on if I make a bet with my time or my capital, um, it's going to be in relationships, uh, it's going to be in investments, and it's going to be in like health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I basically, and now I have a one-year-old son, which makes my time even more time constrained. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly having to kind of um, really focus in on the most high um, kind of payoff things and mm -hmm. whatever that's it's it's in anything that I do that's just how I have to focus my time because you only have a certain amount of hours in a day um, but that's I feel like um, and not feeling like I'm missing out on things like mm -hmm. I, I read this amazing quote you know there's the fear of missing out right FOMO yeah FOMO but I heard about JOMO 
the joy, the joy of, of missing, missing out. out. And so now when I'm like, when I, I saw this company earlier today on Twitter, they announced a big round of financing and we didn't invest in it. We passed. And, and that happens all the time. Like we pass on something and then it becomes huge. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so now I'm just like joy of missing out. Like good for that guy. Yeah. I would never like think ill will on any mm -hmm. of those people, but um, it's like joy of missing out. Um, not like I'm lazy, but just, we're not going to catch everything and I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I, again, I think there's a lot of parallel there because my FOMO this year with a bit of injury and setback has been really difficult. I yeah. mean, specifically just two weeks ago, I was in Europe watching a race where a lot of my friends were competing and one of my friends won the race. And obviously you have feelings of like, wow, really happy for this guy, but also at the same time you can't help, but, or at least I couldn't help, yeah. but feel like, yeah. gosh, I wish I was out there, yeah. you know? So maybe I need to reframe my, my FOMO to JOMO. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, like people might, your listeners, um, and just the broader public, they might view venture capital as this like huge industry. Mm -hmm. It's actually a tiny industry yeah. inside of like private equity, which is much larger mm -hmm. with hedge funds and private equity firms. Um, but what we do, it's a very small industry with mm -hmm. like only a few hundred firms. And so it's, we know it, all the same people like, you know, ultra running mm -hmm. or like a high performance sport or whatever it is. Um, it's a very small industry with a very small amount of players. Yeah. So if I might see one of my, it's competitive. It's competitive. Very competitive. Right. So you're competing for all sorts of things, you know, capital for the best deals just with each other. These are all very competitive people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I always kind of got caught up in like the, um, comparison of, you know, other venture capitalists and, you know, maybe they went to like Harvard business school or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, you, people always compare with each other. Right. And, um, so I, you know, I tend to keep those things in the far back of my mind versus in the front of my mind. Um, and just note it as thinking, mm -hmm. you know? So in the theme of training, as we were just talking about, is there something you do kind of every day that you think helps you to be successful, whether it is something you do for your health, like you said, or your relationships or your investments? like something that you do to stay on top of those things that you have found to be a super valuable part of your quote unquote training? Yeah. Well, one of the things is running actually. So, and, and, um, it's just exercising in general. Yeah. And the other is, so that's for my physical health. Mm -hmm. So I mainly run and I like to run in the mountains, uh, in, in nature specifically, if I can, me too. Yeah. And so that's what, when I was in New York city, I felt, you know, pretty depressed actually, um, because I couldn't go run in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a key part of my training. Um, just keeping myself sane. Um, I also, you know, you actually introduced me to Buddhism when we were 16 years old. Um, so that's been a life changing path that I've been on since the art of happiness when we were 16. Yeah. So that's another thing. Uh, just, um, you know, I, I'm constantly reading a lot of, um, 
Buddhist books or books in general about like how to struggle well over a long period of time? Because I will go from, you know, you talked about like the highs and lows. I try to kind of notice where I am on a long arc of kind of going up and down on an emotional journey mm -hmm. and try to kind of keep myself like the Tao Te Ching Lao Tzu so mm -hmm. says like, if you get too far to the right, just come back in the middle. If you go too far to the left, just come back into the middle yeah. and just note that you're thinking about things and come back to the middle. Yeah. So meditation helps me a lot with that. But if I'm not exercising and trying to be, you know, mindful through, you know, practices like meditation, then I can't be the best part long-term partner. So what we try to do is we try to provide emotional and tactical advice mm -hmm. to entrepreneurs. So they're on a, even a, you know, crazier roller coaster than I am. Uh, so I have like 50 companies in portfolio. They are, have one bet, like, like an athlete, like yeah. you have one bet that you're going after hard. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the, the highs and lows are even more extreme mm -hmm. than what I do. So we need, to, I need to be uh, the best partner that I can possibly be to these founders, these human beings as they're on their long-term journey. So we try to help them um, kind of when they're down, bring them up. And when they're too cocky, kind of bring them down a little bit. Um, a little humble pie. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, that's, those are the two main things. And then, you know, things like sleep. I'm pretty religious. I'm very yeah. strict about my sleep. So I try to at least get eight hours of sleep. You're like an athlete, man. Yeah. Training the meditation and the sleep. It's yeah. like what every new age strength and conditioning coach would, would tell you to do as well. Yeah. So you mentioned the founders and the leaders of the businesses that you invest in. What is it that you look for in a, in a founding team that makes it feel like a safer bet? There's no such thing as a safe bet. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah. So I think that what we're really looking for is we try to uncover. Uh, so we're looking for a lot of different things. But like the one of the main things is why are they doing what they're doing? Because if you like I try to look at an investment and then think about how it would look 10 years in the future. So and imagine if this person is going to be around for that long. Um, and so if you, if you, if you ask someone like, well, you know, what, you know, what's the origin story? Why are you doing this? And they start to talk about like, well, the market's ripe and like, we're trying to go make a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. That for us is an, a clear, just, we're not interested in that type of approach. Um, because there'll probably more be, be more of a mercenary versus like a missionary that is like on a, like they're on a mission yeah. to go complete something and they're not going to stop until they do. And when things get really hard, which they always do, they always do. That's when, um, you know, if you have a clear sense of why, um, you might be able to better endure the hard times when mm. they come. And if you're doing it for financial reasons or like status or fame or wealth, like things like that, um, I don't know. Like, I think that so everyone's wired differently. We just try to figure out why people are wired the way they are. And so we can try to understand that and how they will, um, you know, uh, 
react to a, a, a really tough situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that, you know, and then we could try to figure out like, you know, uh, that's number one though. Um, it, and, uh, and that they could come from any background. It doesn't matter. Um, but some people stumble across certain businesses where they just find out a, a, a why that will motivate them for a really long mm. time through tough times. Um, so, you know, the other thing that I think kind of follows in this theme of training, quote unquote, is the idea of like being process focused versus being outcome focused. And it strikes me that it could be in venture capital, you could very easily fall into becoming too overly outcome focused. You know, when you're taking an ownership stake in a company and you're thinking about the eventual hypothetical future value that it might have, what is it that you do to sort of remain process focused on the important things day to day? And what is it that you do for maybe the, the leaders of the businesses that you invest in to encourage them to do the same? That's so interesting that you say that. Um, because, uh, you know, what, so what we try to do is we try to visualize in the beginning, like what this could become. Right. But then it's like a bunch of day to day grinding for 10 years. So yeah. it's, so it's all about the process. So, um, we have an internal system that we use at our fund, um, where it's basically a very fancy spreadsheet, but it's called the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS. And uh, basically, it's this very fancy spreadsheet where we keep track of everything that we're doing. And so I can see what everyone in my organization is doing every day. And um, we have, you know, weekly meetings on that, you know, like what we're doing, basically. And we track everything week by week, quarter by quarter, you know, year by year and document everything. It doesn't go away. It all stays in that spreadsheet. Um, so that's just the system that works for us on how to keep our process going on a day-to-day -day basis. When you're seeing all these new companies, when you have a bunch of to-do items and longer-term objectives, we have everything kind of mapped out, um, and it's a continual fluid uh, process mm -hmm. that we're focusing on every single day. So I'm in that document probably 15 times a day, right? Um, and then with the companies... Um, they all need us in different ways at different times. So sometimes it's it's usually the companies that are struggling the most that need us. So it's it can be about just um, putting out a fire or it can be, you know, a lot of sudden things come up that we need to focus our attention on helping them. Um, but it's, you know, I think... We have to, you know, so it is a lot about like putting out fires and doing things immediately when they ask us to do things. Um, but we also try to zoom out and help them see kind of the bigger picture um, and keep them on that path because when it gets really tough, they might want to try to veer off of it somehow, um, either by giving up or it's usually not, yeah, it's usually not like, Google is entering your space. That's what's going to kill you. It's it's your yourself that is going to get in the way, mm. and it's like Jerry's book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Reboot. Yeah. Um, 
And so it's, that's really what it is. And like, you know, I have a coach and a therapist and people who keep me up. And, and that's another thing, like I should have mentioned before, um, you know, coaching therapy, like, well, I want to, really, I want to talk more okay. about that. All so right. cool. But I mean, I, I think that's, it's an interesting kind of parallel as well, again, with under the sort of umbrella of training of like doing all the little things that are going to help you perform at the most important moments and not making that ultimate outcome or the performance itself be the most important part of it, but yeah. to actually be enjoy the process of it and to ensure that that's where the emphasis is. But yes. um, moving on from the, the mundane and the uh, training metaphor, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, we kind of go through these just amazing highs too in sport and business. And I wanted to see if you might give maybe a couple examples of really big wins that you've had. So maybe one where it's like a great investment that you made, and then one that is maybe a little equally satisfying, but for a different reason, maybe, if you can, you know, put you on the spot a little bit here. But okay. if there's anything that, that comes to mind there, just yeah. to kind of illustrate you know, because I, I feel like it's probably the same feeling for you as it is for me, like to win a race, you know, yeah. that you've been training for for months. Yeah, I'll start with the first one or the, the second. Um, so basically like something that's not like a great investment. Um, but uh, when, when we're able, like I just came earlier today from like right before this meeting, I'm helping one of our companies close a really senior hire. And so in this particular company, like we've helped, we helped recruit them from San Francisco to Boulder and then help them build out their whole team and like raise capital for them. Um, we don't seek credit for those things. So we're kind of like a silent killer behind the scenes. And that's actually where I gain the most grat gratification. So like this guy, like I introduced him, he's, he's at a huge tech company right now and he gets paid like a million a year or something like that yeah and we're trying to get him to take a substantial pay cut yeah and this company is hugely risky right yeah where he has you know he'll be leaving a lot of money on the table to come take a risk on this company yeah. so just basically um i've figured out that my why is to help people struggle well over a long period of time but really like trying to um, make a, a hire or just helping people in general where I don't get any accolades or anything like that is actually where I get my biggest high from. Wow. And uh, so I'm more of like a coach than like the athlete yeah. out there. Huh. Um, and so like the coach, like probably no one, like a lot of people don't know who your coach is, but like, but like he's a legit person who makes your life like a lot better. Oh yeah. But he's prefers to be kind of a silent killer yeah. behind the scenes. So that's kind of how I, I am with, with that. And then, um, you know, I, I think that like a lot of people kind of look at my investing track record and they try to point to the companies that like just pop off and do really well. Um, so I've been an investor in over like a hundred and something companies now and some of them, like I mentioned earlier, Crocs, that was like more luck, right? So there's a lot of luck involved in these things. So of 
when something pops off like that, like I know that there's a ton of luck involved. So I feel amazing about it, but at the same time, it's not the same. I, I'm not doing this for the the like financial, uh, like I'm not doing it for the money, but like it does motivate me. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of a game, yeah, right? It's um, like a competition. So it's yeah, like so it's sport. fun, but that's like not what really like, it, it's like, oh, that was cool. And then you kind of move on. So, so but it is easy in that situation to think that it is because of you, you know, that you are sort of exceptional in some way, you know? And so yeah. what, what is it then, again, kind of going back to the theme of, of process versus outcome, like what is it when you are able to be successful in one of these investments where you're taking risk and you have, you know, some wildly successful play, what is it that allows you to sort of, um, yeah, just like keep, keep that, that level sort of energy system that you talked about earlier? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, it's when you get to the finish line, like when a company goes public or when you sell a company or when, um, you know, a company gets bought or whatever, it's like exciting, but then it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of giving something up that you've worked on for a long time. And it's like, you, you know, so, you know, I think that like, for, for me, it feels like it's being ripped out of my hands. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I've had so much fun on this project or thing, yeah. and now it's, like, coming to an end. And so it's it, to me, it's, like, a little um, – it's, it's exciting and fun, and that's kind of what I need to do, especially now that I have outside investors. Yeah. Like, I need to perform for them. So now I have kind of a different oh. dimension in my mind about fiduciary obligations. So, you know, whereas before I might, like – decide to ride something out uh, versus sell something. Um, now, you, you know, it, it's, it, I have to have other people in mind. Um, but, you know, I think after, so I think that after a big successful event, uh, at least for me, it's very humbling. Mm-hmm. It's not like it, uh, makes me feel you don't like, feel like you like figured it out you've cracked no some code. no I feel even I feel less and less like that every single year good for you yeah so I've just continually been humbled and gotten my ass handed to me so I never try to prematurely you know um, think that something's going to be successful or I'm going to be successful um, and so it's a um it's, it's hard to explain, and I'd love to hear wh- what you think about that, because I know you've, you know, been at the top of the podium uh, quite a few times. Well, yeah, I mean, just like to talk about my current situation, at this point last year, I felt like I had cracked the code, you yeah. know, like I felt like I had everything figured out, yep. you know, everything was clicking, yep. my training was going great, all my races were going awesome, and I felt like I could just copy-paste exactly what I had done last year, every year going forward, and the outcome would be the same, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think the universe sort of has a way of teaching you a lesson at the moment that you need to. So, I mean, it's, it is really important and something that I've learned through this process too is that 
you really do have to try and maintain as even of a keel as possible and understand that the successes are so fleeting yeah. and come at such a high price. Like you have to work your ass off for them and that you're not as good as you think, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then at the same time, when you're hit with severe adversity, injury, or some sort of business setback in your you're case, not as bad as you yeah, think. it's not the end of the world at yeah. the same time. So in keeping with, the theme of successes, maybe putting you on the spot a little bit, but if we can be a little specific, you know, like you guys invested in Allbirds, which has become yeah. a really wildly successful, yeah. another footwear company that you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. put on the feet yeah. of pretty much every person in yeah. North America, it seems yeah. like. What was it about that brand in particular that, and maybe it's the team and the product, but what was it about that brand in particular that made you feel really comfortable investing? Yeah, so we were not comfortable when we were investing in it. Um, when we invested in 2015, they had not, um, uh, they were still in stealth mode. The company was called Three Over Seven, like spelled that. out in, in letters. They did a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah they did, which was a complete disaster. disaster. Yeah. Um, and so we were investing in a company with a name Three Over Seven who had just botched a Kickstarter campaign, who had never sold anything before, really. And they were like going to rebrand and, you know, um, but, you know, we didn't know what the brand was going to be when we were investing. So when we invested, it was called Three Over Seven. Um, and, you know, no website or anything like that, not selling anything, like I mentioned. Um, but the founders, um, Tim and Joey, Tim was a professional soccer player in uh, New Zealand. And he was the co-captain of the pro soccer team. Um, and, uh, and then Joey had built, um, he, he was a, um, uh, an engineer and had joined a company that actually had done an IPO. So he was a pretty solid uh, operator, but really they kind of had this vision of bringing, it was their why really. Like they wanted to bring um, these very comfortable shoes to the market, but they wanted to do it in a uh, environmentally friendly way. So they're using all natural materials. Um, and uh, you know, most of the shoes out there today are made of nasty synthetics. And they, there's like 100 billion shoes sold a year, and a lot of them end up in the oceans. So they, they're now making shoes out of like, you know, wool and uh, eucalyptus and sugar. Um, so it's really a material science company. Uh, and, and, uh, um, and, and, you know, they've got an incredible mission. Um, and they, so it was really about the, those guys. They're very competitive, but it, they had a clear sense of why. Um, and, uh, we knew that if they could craft the right message and the, create the right brand, that they would be around for a really long time. Mm, interesting. So to transition maybe to less happy subjects, yeah. obviously in sport, and in business, you know, we deal with really difficult stuff. And I've learned that this year more than I ever have in my life leading up to this. Obviously, you and I grew up together in a beautiful place with good families, pretty much every advantage you could offer. And I've just faced so little adversity in my life. Yeah. 
that it's felt like super overwhelming, you know, to go through it. And I've learned so much from it. So I I definitely see the value in going through experiences like this. But you and I have talked about the moment in time where you were starting your current venture, V1VC. And when you sort of closed the fund at the earliest stages, you sort of went into this depressive episode. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it was interesting. Uh, so my wife and I were living in New York City. And um, you, then we we decided to move to San Francisco. And this was right around the time when we were closing the fund. And, you know, um, the entire fundraising process was honestly way too easy. And like, I had been so after the financial depression, you know, I went through this kind of phase where it was like everything with Crocs, for instance, it just like everything clicked and it was yeah. so easy. And then I got my ass handed to me. Yeah. Right. And then like, I struggled for like a long, you know, set, you know, 2009 until 2015, really. Um, you like struggling day in and day out. And, uh, and then all of a sudden we're closing this fund and all these really, really smart, successful people were like you know signing up to become our investors basically handing their money to you yeah saying yeah do and what so you i was like right. what did i do to fool these people yeah and i and i was like i must have fooled them masqueraded around like i was some person that knew it all and da 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 and all the while i, I was not that person but in my own mind i kind of went down this rabbit hole of like you know i am like uh, an imposter and so that's when I kind of really started to learn a lot about the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is like when you start out and you have a lot of confidence in something and then, uh, you know, that goes on for a while and then something happens and it literally your confidence falls off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And it's there's this chart that um, it's a graph, yeah. the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, and so when we were closing the fund, you know, it was such an easy process where these incredibly smart people were giving me their money. And when all the legal, you know, I was going through the legal documents and it was like, you know, we can basically sue you if you're incompetent. And like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm definitely incompetent. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, um, and so I basically, uh, you know, kind of my confidence fell off a cliff essentially. And all this, because you had some lack of, or some sort of self-loathing about the fact that you had fooled these people into yeah. So I was like on fire during the fundraising process. Yeah. Like you know, most of the people that I pitched said yes. Yeah. And then, um, and then once we got to the successful finish line, right, signing all the documents, the wire transfers were literally coming in, and I felt like a, a fraud at that point, like a, an imposter. And so, um, you know. Uh, and this is very common for, for high achieving people. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're at the top of your game or when you're, you know, trying to strive for a lot, um, you think like, well, why can, why do I think I can do this? Yeah. You know, well, it's sort of what happens to Olympic athletes too. You know, there's this phenomenon where you train for something for four years. And then after the Olympics, even if you're super successful and you win a gold medal, yeah. Chances are you're going to get like super depressed. Yes. Even if you have something to be really proud of. Yeah. You know? 
And so, you know, everyone around me was like, wow, that's incredible. Like these people are backing you. That's amazing. Um, so actually my, my partners and a lot of my advisors, they had to talk me off of like, I wanted to hand the money back to everyone. And so they basically, you know, helped me realize that, you know, I'm a good person with good intentions, like, you know, um, and that these people understand I didn't fool them mm -hmm. and like, you know, what, I, uh, and so, you know, basically when we were closing the fund, um, I then once we, so they talked me off the, the cliff of like just shutting it down. And mm -hmm. so this is what I'm talking about. Like people get in their own way, mm -hmm. right. Versus some competitor didn't come in and, and like oust us from the market. Um, it was me getting in my own way and I had my own demons that I had to battle with. Um, and honestly, Jerry Colonna's, that's when I discovered Jerry Colonna's podcast and, yep. you know, um, went to, listened to all of those multiple times, but it's interesting to look back on that time. You know, I, I was coming up with all these reasons why it was not the right time to do this. So, I thought it was the peak of the market and the market was going to drop again like it did in 2008 with with Crocs, for yeah. instance, and that um, it wasn't the market. You know, I was in San Francisco at the peak of the market. People were too overconfident. Everyone that I was talking to were overconfident that they were going to be this huge success. And I would just be like, you know, I you know, that would make me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. And when people are too positive. Um, and so, you know, it was a number of things that I was basically making excuses around um, why I couldn't do it. And uh, anyway, I eventually, we, we closed the fund and then um, started, you know, investing. And our third investment was Allbirds. So, like, if you look back in time, like, I was one of the... So, I've been majorly depressed several times in my life. Mm -hmm. I think three or four times. Um, and it's those, you know, this this one in particular lasted at least a year. Mm -hmm. So, the entire time I was in San Francisco, I felt terrible. Yeah. I could barely get out of bed. And... But that's when I made that investment. Yeah. And those were actually we made some other very good investments during that time. Um, so if I look back in time, I was creating all these stories in my head that I would get wrapped up in. And um, I would constantly tell myself these stories, couldn't sleep, yeah. you know, and um, it's brutal, man. but it, yeah, it's brutal. But at the same time, um, you know, we, I was actually, if you look back in hindsight, I was making really good decisions. Yeah. Um, so really, again, you're getting in your own way and you're getting in my own creating. Way. And I think, you know, the other thing that sticks out in my mind with my experience is my responsibility to my sponsors, as you're talking about your responsibility to the people who invest in your fund and me, you know, sort of being injured and being unable to perform, feeling like I'm a fraud. I'm yeah. fooling these people into paying right. me when I'm yeah. not doing anything yeah. like I'm worthless. And, yeah. and part of the thing that made Jerry's book so impactful for me is that just idea that like, you, you're not a terrible person no. because you've sort of hit a bit of a rough patch. Yeah. And 
the best way to get out of the rough patch is to get out of your own damn way. Yes. As he says, you know, what are you doing to create the yes. environment what that you're in? Complicit in. So you also told me when we were hiking in Aspen that you've sort of taken some of the tools that you learned from that episode and implemented some kind of a program for the leadership of the businesses that you invest in to help the founders who, as you say, are in an even more exposed position than you are deal with similar low patches. Yep. How, how do you help people uh, who you invest in get through those situations? Yeah. So um, I think that uh, it's, it's different in every case, but um, we try to help those founders realize that, you know, um, that, I think that one thing that if, if you know that there are going to be difficulties in, uh, ahead of you in, in the future, like in other words, if, if you're just too otherly, overly optimistic about the future and you think you're going to just constantly be crushing it, yeah. um, then when something comes up and it's a hardship, it knocks you on your ass. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Going back to yeah. feeling like I had cracked some code. Yes. And then when your ass gets handed to you, yeah. When you're when you think you're some, you know, important person. Yeah. And it's so more difficult to deal with. Yeah, I think like we're dealing with founders that are very optimistic people. They need to be super optimistic to lead teams, attract people, attract capital, you know, win markets, et cetera. Um, beat their competitors, you know. So they need we want them to be very you know, uh, positive, but when they're too positive, when they're too optimistic. So it's, there are a lot of subtle twists along the way where, um, you know, I might recognize that a founder is way too overly optimistic about something. I don't want to tell them, I don't know that they're wrong. You know, we're both, you know, guessing about right. something. So it's not, it's, it's not like it's an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. And, but I can try to, prod and poke at them a little bit. And the thing is, it's it's their company, right? I'm just there as a kind of a cheerleader um, and as a, someone to help uh, along the way. But um, it's different in every case, but I, I do think that, um, you know, we offer, so one thing that we say to the companies is, and a lot of them say like, we've never heard this from a venture capitalist before. But when, you know, when things get really hard, we hope to be the investors on their cap table that they can call when they're having a really shitty day. Yeah. And so it's just offering that support where we work for them when we make an investment. So a lot of people have this misconception that like when an investor invests in a company, the entrepreneur or the, the person at the company works for like uh, the, the investor. Mm -hmm. And like you said earlier, like you feel like, like Red Bull and, and North Face, you're a fraud because you can't be out there. They work for you. <laughs> right. And so I hope that that's how they would feel. And you've said so many nice, great things about them and how they've helped you along your journey in so many different ways. We try to be that same level of support, whether, you know, we're doing our CEO summit, which I'm psyched that you're going to come to. <laughs> Um, I think the founders are going to love you. Um, but um, yeah, so we, we try to help them, you know, we encourage them to uh, 
to work with therapists. Yeah. We encourage them to work with a coach. Like you're an incredible ultra runner, right? Competing worldwide, you have a coach. Yeah. Kobe has a coach, yeah. right? Why can't a high-performing, you know, entrepreneur have a coach? Mm-hmm. They should. Um, and so we we are the investor in that company. We kind of try to act a little bit like a coach, but a coach is different because they don't have a financial stake yeah. in, in these companies. So we try to, you know, make th- say to them like, "Hey, you can use a part of our investment to spend that on on a therapist and on a coach." I think it's a lot about like the the daily hygiene and the process of if people sprint so hard, they'll eventually break. Like if you just started the race, like right out the gate and just started sprinting and you're going a hundred miles. Yeah. You're going to like, at what point are you going to just not be able to have more energy to move forward? Right. And then your competitors behind you are going to pass you. You have to kind of pace yourself. yourself. Yeah. And so this is a key thing where, you know, high level uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of times they are moving, they have 10 fires going on at the same time and they need to um, try to navigate their way through those fires. Um, but it, I think it's about um, like the daily hygiene and doing all the things that you need to do to make sure that you're a, a healthy, sane person mm-hmm. running a business. And you guys provide the, the moral support and potentially the resources for them to yeah. seek that help for yeah. themselves. Yeah. That's great. And we just try to keep them, you know, if they go too far to the right, bring them back to the middle. If they go too far to the left, bring them back to the middle. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. That's a great, great lesson and a great theme. So in winding things down, I just have a couple couple answers for you or a couple questions for you. One is like, how do you deal with self-doubt? Yeah. Well, I have, you know, the self-doubt comes in and out and it's, it's also like a cyclical, you know, cyclical up and down. Yeah. So I'm specifically talking about, you know, I'm thinking about when I lead up to a race Yeah. and inevitably I'm not somebody to get nervous ever before a race, but I always deal with like, ah, damn, I didn't do enough. Uh I didn't train appropriately. And, you know, I do have a great coach and I trust him with my career and with my life. And, um, I know that in my heart I am prepared and I have the experience, but still I struggle with this like self doubt. And I feel like it does hold me back sometimes. And I'm thinking when you are about to send money to a business and you placing that bet. Yeah. Do you go through something similar and how do you how do you deal with it? Um, so I've gotten a lot better at this over time. And, and you said it so perfectly earlier. It's trusting the process. So we have a very specific process that leads up to make us making an investment. And so we see, like again, over 2,000 companies a year and make 10 investments. So we're not quite comfortable every single time we're making an investment, to be honest. Yeah. Like um, it's always, you always have the self-doubt, the nagging crow, as Jerry puts yeah. it on your shoulder, right. telling you that you're not good enough. You're making the wrong decision for some reason, but we've created a process where we do our best to, you know, and we have a methodology to come to the best 
you know, answers and conclusions, right? They're not always going to be right. In fact, they're mostly going to be wrong. Um, but if we trust in our process of how we evaluate companies and make decisions, and we have a specific, you know, uh, methodology that we go through, um, I would be much less comfortable if we kind of shotgunned an approach yeah. and like, didn't we like hurtled over our process and didn't, you know, really do the things that we're supposed to do before making an investment. Um, but, you know, we've always, uh, we've gotten a lot better at that over the years. And so now when we're making an investment, um, I, I'm not really like nervous. I'm, I'm like excited to jump in. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because we've, we've come up with a process to ensure that, you know, we're at least directionally correct, mm -hmm. even though we know we're going to be probably wrong. And that's when you're most likely to be successful, you know, and again, to bring it back to racing, it's when you are excited for the suffering that you're inevitably going to go through. Yes. When you understand that you've got a vision quest ahead of you yes. and you can't wait to yes. do it, that's when the best performances happen. Yeah. And when you're ultimately most proud and satisfied of your performance. Yeah. Well, Brad, I think there's a lot of really good, interesting, insightful things in our conversation. And one last question for you before we close it out. What uh, sort of businesses or industries right now do you think are the most exciting, you know, maybe in the next five or 10 years. In other words, like where should the listeners place their life savings? <laughs> oh man. Oh gosh. Oh, I, I don't know if I can answer that one. Um, but I think that, well, the three areas that we focus on, the three big buckets are consumer B2B SaaS software as a yeah. service and, and deep tech. So those are the three areas that we're interested in have an affinity for, but I would, you know, I think that uh, um, it's very difficult to, to predict. But um, so we, we have some broad general themes that we look at and, uh, um, um, you know, some, some specific areas that we're interested in. But we really look for the entrepreneurs to come to us and tell us what the future is. Uh -huh. And so we have kind of these ideas of what we're interested in. But then we wait for people that have this like, very clear why on why they're doing a specific thing and we just are like we'd be idiots for not working yeah. with this person um but uh but yeah i i also think just investing in yourself is a key thing and like i think tying it back to kind of the theme of this conversation is you know investing in your you know yourself and your growth and you know um like you, you're you're gonna get past your your injuries or whatever they are, um, but I am gonna be doubling down on on myself and um, just you know committing to you know doing this for a really long time um, and trying to find joy in it and not taking myself too seriously. Beautiful. Well, Brett, thanks so much for the conversation. That was fun. Thank you, buddy. What'd you guys think? Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I sure hope so. Either way, let me know. I'd really appreciate it. Any and all feedback, constructive criticism, 
is always welcome. You can fire it at me on social media. I'm easy to find. Dylan Bow, Twitter and Instagram. You can leave a rating or review if you feel like it. I'd really appreciate it. And speaking of social media, you can follow Brett on Twitter. That's the only platform he uses. He is very judicious and disciplined in his social media use. So you can follow him there on Twitter at Brett R. Jackson, uh, where he often links to cool things in the world of tech, business, lifestyle, news, all those things. So check him out there. Uh, But appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks.